Welcome to another inspiring podcast from C3 New Hope. For more information about our church and its locations, please visit our website at c3newhope.com.au. Thank you, darling. Well, thanks for coming today, everyone. It's been uh, wonderful. And um, I wasn't supposed to be no, here. I told please. you I could preach at the other church. She did, no. I, I told I did. you to get I up. I told and, him. And there's I'm more like, to come. <laughs> Can we not be in a, too much of a rush today? I know there's time limits with things, but if we can... Uh, Lingo, because I do believe that God wants to put something in us today uh, for the season that we're in. But just to finish as well, what I was saying, there is such a, a rich history for us with this church. I remember your founding pastors, Adrian and Kathy, used to visit our church, C3 Tugra, a lot. And Pastor Adrian actually prophesied over me in South Africa at a conference um, that actually shaped a lot of the timing about what we did, what we stepped out uh, in in Kenya. And I was a bit frustrated at the time, to be honest, because God birthed me in 2010 this desire to uh, move to Africa and, and do some kind of ministry. Um, I think Pastor Adrian might have been the first one who came up and said, you're here not by accident on this trip. God is putting a purpose in you, but it's not now. It's not no, but it's not now. I was like, no, I'm ready, man. Like, <laughs> come on. And then another person came up and prophesied the same thing. And then a third person prophesied the same thing in the same meeting. So I was like, okay, so it's not now. But I do lay hold that it, it is there. And then Obviously, Pastor Andrew and Kathy, I can't get out of saying, uh, and Claire, sorry, Andrew and Claire. Andrew's been like a big brother to me uh, in the faith, and I have so much respect for these guys. And uh, I have also um, been known as uh, Andrew's uh, better-looking twin brother. Um, I have received prophecies on his behalf before. I kid you not. Presence conference, someone came up to me, this lady, oh, I've got a word for you. And she finished and then she said, you're Andrew Gray, aren't you? I said, um, no, but I'll determine what I do with that one, whether I, whether I claim it or whether I, or whether I pass it on. But now Dan and Ali Warren, my goodness, these guys are just two of the best. And I feel like I've known Dan for years longer than I have. Um, and I think not only uh, is he extremely attractive, uh, but he loves cricket, he loves golf, all the good things in life. But I think beyond that, um, I feel a real spiritual friendship and connection. And I think that is because in many ways that we both have a lot of similarities in our sense of what God is doing on the earth in this time. Uh, and you should be very, very grateful that you have pastors who are not just trying to get back to how things used to be uh, pre-COVID, um, but you have pastors who are like this. Let's read a scripture together. 1 Chronicles 12, 32, that says, From Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Uh, and I believe we are living in times where it is, it's always been important for for the leaders of God's church to know the times in which we are living in. But I think as much as ever before in my lifetime, these are times where we must be aware of what God is doing on the earth. And, um, and not everyone is, is really thinking, yes, thank you so much. Uh, you could have, uh, thank you so much. And to have pastors who are asking those questions, it is not easy, it is not comfortable, 
for anyone, but it is, the, for me, the only way uh, in the time in which we live. And I want to unpack a few thoughts around that um, today. But a, a, a quick disclaimer before I pray and get into it. Firstly, I'm going to share um, in... Uh, what do you give me? Two hours, right? So in the next two hours... Um, um, I'm going I'm to share, I'm going to try and condense what I feel God has been speaking to me around for around the past two years as I've tried to dive into his heart during this whole COVID saga. Um, so these is, this is going to be a, bit, a few generalizations. So I, can't, I don't have time to expound some of the nuances or some of the, the things to balance out what I'm saying. So uh, please just bear that in mind. Also, um, this is not a, a beat up of the church. I love God's church more than anything. I've given uh, decades so far of my life to build the church of God, and I will, God willing, do that. I'd be happy if I get to do that the rest of my days. Um, there's a Bethel song, and I've just a new one coming out that says this. I put the lyrics on the screen that I just think so resonate with what God is doing on the earth right now, but also particularly what God is doing in New Hope, uh, Mount Annan, and across your locations. Uh, it says this, God, we honour what you've done here, we will never forget. Still, we're after something greater that we haven't seen yet. And so I think that's the heartbeat of what I'm trying to share this morning. It is not to dismiss what has been. It is not to criticise what has been. It is to paint the picture of, thank you, God, for all that you've done. Um, but still, we are in a brand new day, in a brand new season, one of the most exciting times that I've ever been alive for, and I want to lay hold of what God has for us in this time. Also, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a broad stroke message, finally, that some of what I'm encouraging that we need to be doing as a church in this time, you guys are probably already doing it. And so the thing about uh, getting someone in that has a kindred spirit to your pastor is that it may not be brand new things you hear, but it'll be a unique take of what God has put on me for that. And so I'm not trying to assume that you're not doing what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm just sort of sharing my heart for something that I think will strengthen what you are already doing. So why don't we pray? and believe God to uh, impact our hearts here today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for um, all that has been. Lord, we do. We thank you, Lord. We honour what you've done here. Lord, we'll never forget. But still, Lord, we're after something that you have for us in this time. Lord, in these days that we're living in. God, in this season of history, God, we thank you that you have uh, put these people here in this part of the world, God, to build your church, to expand the kingdom of God. And Lord, I pray that today you would um, move beyond inspiration, you would move beyond encouragement, you would beyond saying this is a nice message. Lord, we pray that this changes us today. God, we pray that you would form something in us and fashion something in us today, Lord, that helps um, uh, give us energy and momentum um, to be the church in the times in which we are living in. God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, I believe that if we are going to be people who understand the times in which we are living in, uh, there are two major elements of our cultural moment that we need to understand. And the interesting thing about these things is that it's, if you look at the natural with your natural eyes, 
it could seem like there are pretty dark and desperate days for the church. However, if you look with eyes of the Spirit and see things from God's perspective, I think that we will see these elements of our cultural moment as some of the greatest opportunities that we've ever had to expand the church. These two elements of our cultural moment are these, post-Christian culture and post-COVID Christianity. So let's talk about post-Christian culture. Um, Many nations in the West uh, have entered what sociologists called a post-Christian era, uh, where Christianity is not the centre of society and biblical values are not um, defining how society operates and functions, um, but it is pushed to the margins. Christianity is pushed to the margins. I would argue that we have entered not just a post-Christian era, but an anti-Christian era, where the world is not trying to just see Christianity pushed to the margins, but outside the very boundaries of society. Uh, And regardless of what we think about some of the things happening in in the culture around us, like with certain football um, sagas and jerseys that happened a few weeks ago, regardless of our opinion of how people should act and respond, it's pretty obvious that time and time again, this world has a problem, not just with um, any type of value, but with a Christian worldview. I hope I'm okay to say that here. The beautiful thing about being a guest speaker is that I'm not here next week. And uh, Dan, you can clean up the mess easily. Um, And so, so this is... I don't know, I think if you have been a Christian any amount of time uh, and you've uh, opened your eyes and looked at the world in which we're living in, you've felt that tension. Uh, It's been building, it's been building, it's been building, and it is now very obvious and very tense in the world in which we live in. So that's a challenge for the church, uh, potentially. Uh, The other one is this post-COVID Christianity. Um, In the US, the Barnard Uh, group reports that 32% of practicing Christians stopped attending church online within three months of nationwide lockdowns in 2020. I think it's something around, uh, the stats are something around in the past 12 months, over 40% of pastors have seriously considered giving up what they're doing because of the pressures around trying to do church in this era. Um, you talk to every, every, nearly every church I've spoken to at least um, has experienced a significant, uh, let's be honest, pruning, um, changing of how many people are attending services and the faith of many has been uh, challenged or these circumstances have proved that the faith of many was maybe not what we thought it was going to be in the first place. And so if we look at these two elements of the world in which we live, it could be a particularly, if we look at it purely from the natural, it could look like quite a scary, dark future for the church of God. However, um, when we look at these circumstances with the eyes of faith and through the eyes of God, as I said before, I believe we live in the most opportune of times to make disciples and build the church. Uh, regarding post-Christian culture, this is what uh, uh, Pastor Mark Sayers, an Australian pastor, 
writes about post-Christian culture in his book, Reappearing Church. And he says this, To many, such a time as this seems foreboding, unknown and unsafe. The idea that this new place where we find ourselves could be hopeful seems counterintuitive. Yet a study of history shows that it is precisely at moments like this, when the church appears to be sliding into an unalterable decline, when culture is shaken by upheaval, when the world globalizes, opening up new frontiers and fostering chaos and change, that God moves again. That God moves again. And we can see that in the earliest moments of the church, when the church was a persecuted minority, they expanded. And the minute the church became a, a, uh, the, the, the official church of the Roman Empire, we entered maintenance mode and have barely recovered as a whole since. And so these are very exciting times when it comes to post-Christian culture. Regarding post-COVID culture, I've spent the last two years in our congregations in Newcastle and Nairobi trying to help people see that uh, from, a, from a perspective of the church, not talking about the world, there has been chaos in the world. But when it comes to the church, I believe that COVID has not been uh, a disaster. It has not been a hindrance to our plans and therefore something that we need to try and just get through so we can go back to how things always were. But I believe it has been the greatest catalyst for change uh, that we really desperately needed. Uh, Christine Kane says this, the global pandemic has led to a forced pause. In the church, what we thought used to work no longer does, and perhaps we are ready to address the question of how much was really working anyway. Whether we wanted to or not, we have been forced to stop and look in the mirror and ask ourselves where we have gone wrong. And so here's my take on, on these two things. And it's up to you to decide whether this is an accurate take or not, and, uh, but it's worth thinking about. And so my take about this is that over the past couple of decades, rather than the church rising as a counter-cultural presence in a post-Christian world, we have retreated. We have retreated under the aggressive anti-Christian agenda. We have tried to become friends with the world and appease the world rather than being called friends of God and pleasing Him. We have built churches that try and attract the world rather than change the world. We have made Christians who are dependent on Sunday services. We've let consumerism into the church where meeting people's needs becomes more central than fulfilling the mission of God. Told you it's good I'm not going to be here long. We offered a bare minimum, a Christianity with bare minimum sacrifice and maximum benefit. How can we avoid as much sacrifice as possible but get all the, the benefits? So because of that, I propose in came this great opportunity called COVID. Um, and I believe COVID became a moment of divine revelation for many church leaders. And again, I say this generally. I say this about me and the churches I was leading. Um, I was reflecting on when we came into this church and 
uh, heard Andrew preaching before this and I reflected on some of the things that he was saying and I thought, you guys were talking ahead of your time. You guys were talking about this um, before you didn't need COVID. Um, but alas, we're being given this, this wonderful opportunity nonetheless. And this, this revelation, for me at least, it came largely when our Sunday services got taken away from us. Um, and the faith of people crumbled to the point where uh, we couldn't even click a link to watch someone preach online. And again, you're here, so I'm not talking about you. You've made it. But many people couldn't click a link in their pyjamas with their camera off to join church because I don't prefer online church. I don't really like it. And I'm like, you know, I've got a lot of things to say about that and none of them are really positive. <laughs> um, and I've heard it way too many times for my like, liking. And so now when someone says that, I just go, <laughs> God bless you. There's good news about that. And I'm, so I don't want to be too, too critical. But it became obvious that rather than being a celebration and an equipping point for our Monday to Saturday, it became a spiritual crutch that we depended on because it was our chance to get some kind of faith injection from the pastor to leave us, to keep us going until next Sunday. Um, but we all know it didn't really happen anyway because by about Tuesday we felt like hell and then by the time we stumbled in Sunday, it became, Sunday became a, uh, like a perpetual ICU where we're just raising people from the dead every Sunday from the pressures that life brings rather than coming in and giving Jesus praise and glory and receiving something to go and live on Monday morning. Uh, and when that crutch was kicked out of us, it was like the final straw. Um, I had to realise that the thing that I wasn't seeing in my churches, the, the things that I said I valued the most. Uh, in our movement, we, uh, every meeting I've been in about our core values as C3, um, soul winning comes up as the top of that list. Uh, we weren't seeing people coming to Christ, <laughs> if I'm really honest about it. If we saw one or two, it would be like, hallelujah. Um, and, and, and we thought we were making disciples. I thought I was making disciples. I had it written on my mission statement. Um, but then, you know, 40% of the church just couldn't even jump online when it happened. So we got to this moment where I believe God drew a, a divine line in the sand, like this holy demarcation that said, it is a new day. The things that were tolerated in our retreat for the last two decades, God just said, for me, it's done. We can't tolerate that anymore. It's time to move forward. It's time to be the church that God has called us to be, not provide some kind of half-hearted, Op other option, um, as if there's some option for people who want to be really serious about Jesus and uh, another for the, those who just want nice Sunday Christianity. No, 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 there is one option. And I want to talk about that option here today. It's like God burnt our boats for us. We know, I'm sure, the story of ancient um, military commanders whom it is alleged to, when going into foreign territory, facing an overwhelming army that is far beyond anything they could handle, would set fire to the ships as a bit of an inspiration to the, to the troops to fight or die. 
And I believe I'm, I'm entering into a space as a Christian, as a Christian leader, where I'm going, it's forward or it's nothing. No more lingering. No more what I've described before. It's time for the church to be the church. And so we have two options. We can either, if you would, if you would concur that God has declared a new day, then there's two options. Either we live presently in the new, but we desire to be in the old, and we have one foot in each season. Time is really not on my side, is it? But it's okay. We'll be okay. Here's a good illustration for you. Um, well, when you do that, when, when, we, when we're living in a certain place but we want to go somewhere else, we want to go back to how things were, all you have to do is think of the Israelites in the wilderness, right? Oh, that we would go back to Egypt. And for many, it's like, oh, when will this COVID thing end so we can just get back to the way we used to do church and we can have our nice services and we can have our nice consumer attract, you know, attractional event-driven church? And it's like, no, 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 that's not how it is. And so for me, the only other option is this. It is that every Christian says a wholehearted yes to pioneering the new thing that God wants to do on the earth. Or may I say the old thing that God wants to do on the earth <laughs> that he started in the, in the early church that he is calling us to, to be part of again. And without that yes, it's going to be very on the inside of you. And this is what I want to encourage if I want to leave anything today, is that I want to leave you in a position where you can say a fresh yes to God. Because without that, it's going to be very hard to navigate these times. I remember um, Jamie and I, Elsie is such a, a joy to us. We had uh, two miscarriages before Elsie came. And I remember after the second miscarriage, I, um, I was feeling a little bit like, oh, I can't go through that again. That sucks. <laughs> and I, I was talking to someone else in, uh, in a, about a story in their life, a guy in the church in Nairobi, and I said, oh, how are you persevering through this particular situation? I don't have time to go into it. But he said, look, we decided from the be very beginning of this journey that we would not dip our toes in and that we would commit to this journey no matter what. And it was like something shifted in me and I was like, wow, I'm trying to approach this family building thing um, with the wrong... I, I saw, I'm saying I want to do it, but I'm really hesitant about it because I'm scared that what if it happens again? And I was dipping my toes in. I'm just going, I, I, like I wasn't committing. That day, something shifted on the inside of me. I said, God, we're going to have a family. And if it takes 10 more events like that, that's okay. I'm going to get back up and I'm going to go again. And there was something about that thing on the inside, that yes on the inside that said, I'm going to do this, that made way for a whole lot of things that God wanted to do. And so I believe that there's something on the inside because the, 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 the world in which we live now uh, may be vastly different to the world that you lived in when you first said yes to Jesus. Anyone been a Christian here for more than five years? More than 10 years? More than 20 years? There's a good amount, of, good amount of people in that space. When I said yes to Jesus, it was a lot easier to be a Christian. Um, stuff wasn't as in your face. And so my thought is this, that we need to, we can't serve God. It's not an option to serve God in the world that, that we used to live in when we said yes to him the first time. 
and that following Jesus is a series of saying a wholehearted yes to Jesus in every new season. And so I believe that the terms of this world have changed so significantly post-COVID that we need to say a fresh yes to him. Not just a yes to before, not just to enter aimlessly into this new day, but to enter with our hearts and our eyes fixed on him and steadfastly... Is that being recorded? (laughs) That's going to be a meme. That's going to go viral. Steadfastly on him. I'm trying to be serious, guys. So here we go. A pioneer is this. Uh, One of the first people to do something important that is later continued and developed by other people. I want to be that first person for this new season so that my daughter tells stories that are positive about me and this generation and not ones that are negative. I want her to say, wow, my parents and, and their friends, they served Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. And now I can stand on their shoulders to keep the church moving in the direction that they launched. I don't want them to say, well, God had to wait for them to die out so that we can actually have a go. I don't want to be that generation. I want to be the generation to provide a platform for my kids. And we are not just in the same old, we are in a brand new day. So here's the thing that I want to finish with in the next uh, rapid fire, maybe seven minutes, that if... I'm talking to pioneers here this morning. If I'm talking to people who will say yes to God in this season, I need to give you a little bit of a warning, and that is this, that you will need to guard your heart like you have never guarded your heart before. Proverbs 4.23, in the NIV 1984 version, because it was the best. uh, Above all else... I was only one when that was written, by the way. Some of you weren't even born. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And when you put your hand up to pioneer something, I'm not talking about just church leaders pioneering, just to be sure, not just a few people doing it and others coming on. No, every one of us, the ministry of the body, the church rising up, everyone pioneering the new thing. When pioneers put their hands up, you sort of attract this little red dot from the enemy, like little sniper dot. Like in a movie, you see this little sniper dot. It's all good. God can uh, cover all that. But the enemy would love to see pioneers taken out. And we can read through scripture about people who, who, who started a journey and who were pioneering, but something got in their heart and they got taken out. And so I believe there is an assault on the heart of believers in, the, in this time And so I want to talk to you about four things in the next four minutes about that we need to guard our heart um, to stop them being stolen. And and I want to do it from just one verse that's been resonating in my mind in Hebrews 6.12 for you. In the NIV, uh, that might be the 2011, not too sure. We do not, it says this, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. The NLT, then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. And so the first thing I want to say is this, guard your heart from anything that would steal your passion. Your passion. I'm not talking about a pharisaical zeal where you just 
hoot and holler a little bit and pretend to be excited. No, I'm talking about the sort of passion on the inside of you that fulfills Jesus' command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I want to, in each of these little points, just learn from someone who got cut in on in these regards. And I want to talk about, in this point and the next, about Demas. Don't know if you uh, know of the guy in the New Testament called Demas. And we see about this guy, he was a pioneer with Paul in the ministry. In Colossians 4.14 and Philemon 1.24, we see Paul commending this guy called Demas because he was such a co-laborer in the faith. But then it gets to 2 Timothy 4.10, and Paul says, Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. This person who started out, something got in his heart, stole his passion, and a, and a love for the things of this world rose up rather than a love for the things of God. It's my conviction that nothing short of wholehearted devotion and personal revival will cut it in the times in which we are living in. Anything less than that will inoculate the next generation from Christianity. But we don't want them inoculated, we want them ignited. And so I see so many families uh, that used to be in church and uh, like, um, you know, people my age with young families who used to be in church but stopped coming a long time ago, they're saying, oh, I actually want to come back to church because I really like the atmosphere for my kids to grow up in. And I just want to go, guess what? Kids' church isn't going to solve your kids' faith if you aren't living on fire. You are, I tell you, the best way to let your, the best way to let your kids catch what you caught is for you to be on fire for Jesus, is for you to model what it looks like to live your life laid down for Him. That is when your kids will be in good stead. Not abdicating your role to follow Jesus and expect someone else to do it. Stand up and, and, and do it yourself. But again, you're here, it's not about you. Second point, guard your heart about anything that would steal your family. Anything that would steal your family. Demas has deserted me, Paul said. He didn't say, oh, praise God, Demas got another ministry opportunity down in Thessalonica and we prayed him out and blessed him and we wish him all the best. He said, I've desert he deserted me. He just called it what he was. He said, we were on mission together and he broke our relationship. We had a divine, God-given covenantal relationship together to do the work of God and that guy deserted me. And... Uh, you know what, I just see there is such a wrestle about people finding belonging in the, in the house of God. Um, don't be surprised if the enemy loves to whisper little words on the inside of you in this season, I, you don't belong here. No one notices you. No one wouldn't notice if you weren't here. Maybe they'll like you better down the road. No, 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 it's just not the case. Um, it's not the case, and we need to fight for family. Um, I learned very early in my Christian life that if to, to live the life of a disciple, you're going to have to wave goodbye to some friends sometimes. Uh, don't be surprised if the people that were sitting next to you three years ago aren't sitting next to you today. And that's okay. There's a grief around that. Your pastors can pass you through that and tell you how to do that. For me, I just need to say it's par for course. <laughs> it's going to happen. And we've got to deal with it. We're following Jesus. And often that is a loyalty to the family that he has put you on. Three, guard your heart from anything that would steal your faith. Uh, and the example of this that I think of were the um, exiles in Babylon. My goodness, these guys were pioneers. 
uh, after spending 70 years in Babylon as exiles, uh, they finally got the permission. You can go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple of your God. And do you know how many people went back from Babylon? Hardly any. Why? Because life in Babylon, we think, it, oh, oh, exile, that must have been bad. No, they could produce wealth. They could build houses. They could earn a living. It was pretty comfortable in Babylon. And the trip back to Jerusalem was pretty treacherous. There were bandits on the, on the road. Uh, there was going to be, you know, it was a long trip. And so a lot of people said, I'm not doing that. I'll just stick here in Babylon. We're good. These people went. They were doing it. They were building. They were rebuilding. It was all happening. But then it says in Ezra 4, verses 4 to 5, the local residents tried to discourage and frighten the people of Judah to keep them from their work. They bribed agents to work against them and to frustrate their plans. So 101 thing that the enemy would want to get into the heart of any pioneer is fear, discouragement, and intimidation. There's just no other option than letting a spirit of faith rise up on the inside of us. And so we might think, maybe, you know, the economy is pretty tough. I might stop giving. It's like, nah, that's not going to be the option. The economy's tough. I'm going to keep giving. I'm going to keep giving more. I'm going to let generosity rise up to new levels. Or you might think, look, I don't want to stick my head up in this anti-Christian era. I don't, I don't want to, someone to not like me. I don't want to get myself into any trouble. It's like, well, maybe God's called you to stick your head up a little bit. And maybe we have to get comfortable with a little bit of persecution. And thank God that it's not physical and that it's uh, with words and philosophies rather than the alternative happening in other parts of the world. And so it's time to rise up in faith. And we can have the keyboard. That would be fantastic. Thank you. The last thing, and this is a big one, we need to guard our hearts from anything that would steal our patience. Our patience. The people of Israel, who also started really well, walking through the Red Sea, it was all happening, we're pioneering, we're doing this. Uh, they are like your pin-up boys for what not to do as a pioneer. And, um, and Exodus 32 verse 1 is one of the most fascinating ones for me. It says, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Now, consumer Christianity wants to be wowed and impressed and it wants it now. But pioneering takes time. It takes hard work. It has great days. It has terrible days. But pioneers push through that. Um, as pioneers... We need to resist the urge to elevate our personal preferences above the purposes and plans of God. We are, we, I know the feeling of what it's like to be Dan and Ali in this season, trying new things, doing church. Maybe we'll do church in homes and, and here and let's try different things. Um, we're doing similar things. And I'm trying to let our church know, saying we don't have all the blueprints for this season. We're trying to find the heart of God in this season. This is going to take time. We're going to make changes that work really well. We're going to make churches, uh, changes that don't work very well and we're going to change those. We're going to win some things. We're going to lose some things. We're going to walk at the pace of God, which is very rarely at the pace of our personal preference. Pioneers don't say, 
Well, no, I actually liked it when we did church every week on Sunday, or I prefer that, I prefer this. No, no, Pioneer's like, well, what do we need to do? Let's give it a go. Let's have a go. Um, because what I'm, this new season that I think God's calling us to, do you want to know how long it's going to last? The rest of your life. The rest of your life. I'm not calling you to a week of pioneering. I'm not talking you to a month of vision builders. I'm not calling you to a year of vision. I'm calling you to a life of laying your life down. Where you can walk the distance. Where you can navigate the ebbs and flows. Where you can resolve conflict instead of running from community. Where you can witness to your friends instead of hiding back where you can use your gifts in church rather than sitting there depending on the gifts of someone else. There is so much to unpack in this season. It is wild. It is so exciting. But this is going to be a journey together. And so I want to pray for you all here. I'm going to see if uh, uh, if we need to give people the chance. I'll, I'll let Dan guide us if we need to give people the chance to go. I know Jamie probably has some more... Um, uh, words that you would like to give to people. Is that right, Jamie, or not? Or do you just after? Anyway, you guys have a chat amongst yourselves about that. And uh, as for us all, why don't we stand up? I want to pray for you. The good news about, um, about there might be someone here today who the enemy has got into your heart a little bit, or maybe you didn't navigate COVID well. That's okay. You know what? You're here now. And do you know what? The, the, the story of the, the exiles coming from Babylon tell us this, that when they were down and out and they stopped building, God sent Haggai and Zechariah to speak the word of God and say, get up and go again. And they did. And it worked out. They had a hiccup, but they got back on. And so I want to let you know that although I have joked around a little bit about some of the lack of resilience during COVID, there have, it's been a really real time, right? It's been tough. And so no doubt there has been some faltering in our hearts. But this could be a moment here today where you say, God, I'm back. God, I'm in. God, I want to be a part of what you're doing in this time. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information about C3 New Hope and its locations, please visit our website at c3newhope.com.au.